over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter, um, I didn't want to do a series just because there were some things, and this happens more frequently than I've than usually uh, used to, but um, I used to always just teach a series, but sometimes there's just things God's dealing with me about that don't necessarily work as a series, but I just think they're so relevant, and they're on my heart, they're a burden, and so I've got some things over the next few weeks that kind of fall in that category, and then Easter is going to be phenomenal, and you don't want to miss that, and, and then after Easter, I'll be doing a, a, a series of messages that also God put on my heart, but I'm writing the series now, and um, but uh, so I want you today, if you will, um, turn with me to John chapter 13 in your Bible, whether it's analog or digital or however you get there. John chapter 13. Most of you people will know uh, John's a different gospel than the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, meaning they, they have the birth of Jesus, some genealogies, and they kind of jump to John being in prison, which kind of marks the last year of Jesus' ministry. So they're called synoptic gospels or similar gospels because they cover a similar time span and a lot of things that you see in them you'll see you know across the other ones and, and vice versa. John is different. John was written a lot later. It was written... Uh, uh, in the 90s, 80, 90, somewhere between one and four. And um, John brought his gospel, and it's, a, it's written differently. Um, it has different content. But, but the reason it has different content is because John covers the first two years of Jesus' ministry. Now, they all have the birth of Jesus and, and the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. All the gospels have that because that's the gospel, right? But... Um, but John actually covers some things, and he also writes from a perspective. And there's a statement that he makes in John 13 and some things he talks about even in John 14, 15, uh, and 16 that, that really we don't have in the other Gospels. And the statement we're about to read in John 13, he, he reiterates in 1 John and 2 John uh, as well. And, um, and so as I have been just praying and, you know, God just, I don't know, I, I, I guess what I would say is God deals with me a lot of times in that, that it's, I call it a burden. I, I don't know a better word or I would use it. It's not like painful or anything, but it's just on my heart. And it's just, it's a, maybe a concern or an excitement or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of where I've been uh, on, on this topic for several months. And I wanted to talk to you about it. So I'm going to talk to you about it today. Uh, John 13 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So this is when Jesus is now, I mean, this is right. I mean, this is hours, literally, you could say before Jesus is arrested. Um, and so we know John 13 is Jesus washes the disciples' feet. 14, 15, 16 is the upper, the Last Supper conversation. All this is in the upper room, but the Last Supper conversation. And then John 17 is the garden in the prayer. And then John 18, of course, is the crucifixion. And so this is John 13. So this is at the end of his time. I, I think it's relevant to say, not that any of the gospel would not be important, but you can just imagine some of the themes and things that we have because of John from John 13, 14, 15, and 16. 16 are so incredible because it's this last conversation that Jesus has with his followers and, and they're very rich and they also have themes and they're repeated themes. And so it's like, Jesus, like, I need y'all to get this. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, John 13, 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. A time out. Because he's about to take away the relativity of the concept of loving someone. Right? You know how we live in a world where everybody has their truth? 
And truth has become a relative concept relative to the individual. Like this is my truth, but that can be your truth. And you understand, and you've heard me say, by definition, that's not truth. Right? That's opinion. Truth is absolute by definition. I didn't make that the definition. That's the definition. It's absolute. So if it's relative, it's not absolute. So if it's relative, it's not truth. So you can live your lie. You cannot live your truth. You can live your delusion. You can live your deception. You cannot live your truth. Because you're not God, so you don't get to make and decide what truth is. Right? So with this, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, and he's about to take away the concept of, what, of love being relative to what we want to do or what we want to give. Because he's going to give it a standard. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, no longer do we get to decide the standard by which we love. Like, this is strong. Like, these are strong words. He said, you also are to love one another. And then he said this. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By what? By love. Not by your bumper sticker. Not by having the little fish on your back window. Not by your wrist tattoo Bible verse. I'm not against those. I'm just saying that's not what he put in the text. Not by your Instagram post. Not by your Christian merch where you got your sweatshirt that says the nice thing about Jesus on it. No, he said, by love, by your love for people. That's how people know you're my disciple. Um, I don't know why naming sermons, I've done it for years and years and years you know, 20 something years of naming messages. And it's never easy to me. I don't know why. I, th- I guess because there's a little perfectionist still in me. I know, which is shocking to some of you. And so I'm like, really? And you dress like that? But anyways, um, there's a little perfectionist in me and I always think I want to get the perfect title. And I don't know why, but usually m- movie lines and, and song lyrics stick in my head. I don't know why they do, but they just do. My brother and I can have an entire conversation just with movie lines. I don't, and there's times I'll walk in his office like, hey, you remember this line? He's like, yeah, what, what movie was that? Like I had to stop everything I was doing because it just bothered me. I couldn't remember the movie the line was in. It had nothing to do with anything about my day. So I interrupt me and him to try to figure out what movie that was in. I have issues. <laughs> but as I was writing this message, I started thinking about these songs. And one of them was, and it's, I don't really like the song, not against the song, just it's not on my playlist. You hear me. Um, but it's Jackie DeShannon, What the World Needs Now. Yeah. Is love, sweet love. Yeah, you know it, but I don't like it. I mean, I like the message. It's just not my style of music, you know. Now, one that is my style of music is love is all you need. Yeah. By the Beatles, somebody. Love is all you need. Anyways, so uh, I kind of thought about it, and I thought those kind of, to me, articulate what I need to say. So I called the message. I said all that just to give you the title. (laughs) I need help. Anyways, I called the message, What We Need Now. And I put the now on it. Not just what we need, but what we need now. What we need now. Now, can we pray together? Father, thank you so much 
God, for your word. Lord, we will never get this moment back again. And so, Lord, we don't want to waste it by being distracted. And we don't want to just spend it by being present. But we want to invest it, God, by being very intentional to lean in and hear you and take to heart, God, what you're saying to us. So, Holy Spirit, don't let us leave here without hearing everything that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, love is all you need. I thought about that. We live in a world and culture that they're always telling us we need something. In fact, people call you to tell you you need something you didn't even know exist. Like I had a guy call me one time. I don't take telemarketing calls anymore, but I didn't know it was back then because now they're real sneaky and they'll do it from a local number and I'll think this could be a church person. This is my thought. It could be a church person. I should answer this call. And it's like, you know what you need? No, I don't need it. And I'll tell you why I don't need it. Because no one has ever had to tell me to eat. Because when I'm hungry, I know I need food. So if I needed whatever you were calling me about, I would go find it. I don't need what you're calling me about. So I had to look for it. And I'm not going to buy it just because you said I need it. Believe it, we live in a world where there's always a new thing. There's always a new, there's a new app. There's an app. Oh, we have an app, right? There's this always what we need. Oh, you need this. And, and then, you know, we look at Washington. Here's what we need, you know, and, and we look over here and here's what we need. And I'm going to tell you, this is what I'm convinced of what our world needs today. We need love. That's what I think. I think we need love. I think I need love. I think you need love. I think the world needs love. And I'm just telling you, I'm not saying maybe it's all we need, but it probably is. In fact, I could make that argument scripturally, and I will in just a minute. That may be all we need in this world is some love, right? Um, it's interesting to me sometimes how, and I, and I mean, even in the church and even me. I, let me tell you where this message came from. I think this will kind of set set the tone so that you understand in no way am I telling you you need to do something I'm just sharing with you something that's going on with me. Um, I was, I, several months ago, I don't know, I was just praying. And um, really what I just felt, I don't know how. I just came to this thing where I had this question, I'm like, God, I don't know. Do I really love people well? Right? Do I really love people well? Like, I, I think if you know me, you'd say, man, he's a nice guy. He's kind. He's caring. He's loving. I am not perfect, but I think some people would probably think those things about me. There's probably another list other people think about me, but we're not talking about them. But, but I, I think ultimately, like, I know I love people. Like, I love you. I pray for you. I love my kids. I love my family. I pray for my, you know, and, 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 and so I, I would say that I'm loving. But, but I start asking this question. I'm like, I don't know. Am I loving people well? And I really came to the conclusion that I'm not loving people well. Now, let me tell you why I came to the conclusion that I'm not loving people well. Because I was basing my loving people well on a relative comparison of myself with other people. Compared to some, I love people well. The problem is Jesus said, a new command I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And all of a sudden, I had to make the comparison between the way I love people and the way he loved me. And when he became the measuring stick and not my best intentions, 
right? Because a lot of times, let's be honest, we, we, we kind of judge ourselves based on our best intentions. And we kind of judge other people based on their worst actions. Right? But we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt because we know we meant to do good. <laughs> and, 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 and when all of a sudden I, I couldn't measure myself against my best intentions, but I had to measure myself against the standard of Jesus and how he loved me, then I was like, God, I don't love people very well. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm winning on this one. Like, not at all. And, and really, that's where this message came from. And I realized that so many times, even in church and so many times, even in my life as a pastor, um, <clears throat> I, we measure the wrong things and we focus on the wrong things. And we, one, one, one way to say it is we, we major on the minors and minor on the majors, right? And in church, it's this way. Like if, if the worship sounds good and, and the message is, is, is entertaining or the kids' ministry kept our kids entertained or, or I, I don't know, the coffee was hot, I don't know, you know, then that's a, that's a great church. And my, my thought is really probably the definition of a great church is not a great new building with all the bells and whistles. It's do people feel love the moment they walk in? That's how we'll know it's, we're a great church. If anyone, anyone can walk in this building and immediately feel loved and not feel like they're intruding in someone else's party or club, and not feel like they're being judged because of what they have or don't have or how they smell or look or whatever. But that's the measurement. Of, that's the measurement then by this, not, not by lights and cameras, not by social media followers, not, not even by influence. No, by this, that you love one another. How do we love one another? The way I loved you. And I thought about how much the Bible prioritizes and the gospel prioritizes love. And, and I told the, the pastors and the elders this because sometimes I'll do this when I feel like God's really put something on my heart. And, and I kind of written this message, kind of had an idea how I wanted to go. I felt like this is what God was saying. And I thought, I wonder what the, the big C church is saying about this subject. Because if God's dealing with me, he's probably dealing with them. And so I went out to, to YouTube and Google and all that, and started looking for messages on love by, by people with bigger platforms, bigger churches, because I thought that's probably what they're talking about. And, and ironically, nothing against, by the way, this is not an indictment against any of them, nor is it saying I'm better than them. No, it was just shocking to me that, that I couldn't find many sermons at all on love. And, and it, it was shocking to me because I'm like, that's what it's all about. And then, but just so you know, I'm not making myself better. I thought, I only remember one series I did on love in 12 years. So then I was like, wow, it's amazing to me because sometimes we, we major on the wrong things and the new covenant is based in love for God so loved the world. Like, like the new covenant prior to, prioritized love. Peter said, first Peter 4, 8, above all love, above everything else. What do we do? Love. And then we're reading here where Jesus himself prioritized love by saying, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another as, as I have loved you. And I thought, it is what I honestly thought, especially as the church, but even more than that, I thought love is the greatest thing we can give people. Like, 
Probably in your life, some of the most impactful moments you've had is when people loved you in spite of you. <laughs> like sometimes that's how we worship Jesus. Like he loved me in spite of me. Thank you, Jesus. And, and I just thought about when it comes to the church, how we should be so um, marked and not just marked, but our, our calling card. Really, ultimately, what we're known as and known for is people who love well. Other people. And I just thought, God, I want, I want us to do that. Like as Pathway Church, I want us to love well. And to love people well. And I said, you know what? And, and I want to, to love well. And, and, and I really think, I really think what, what most people find resistible about church was never really important to church anyway. Like dress codes and and even music, and, and I'm not saying worship's not important. Worship and music are not the same thing. Amen. Right? Like, I don't know if you know this, but the music and the lyrics are not worship. It's not worship till you do something with it. It is possible to be around and in worship and not be worshiping. Because worship is about adoration from our heart, not what the team is singing on the platform. Right, and I just thought we get all these things like so so important, and then and then you know we get like well we believe this and we believe this and we believe this and you got to believe this and we dress this way and we talk this way and these are allowed and those aren't allowed and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't and all these things are what's resistible about church and the truth is none of those things were really what the first century church was about like this was a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I love my neighbor. I love God. I love my enemies. Now that's an irresistible church. I believe in Jesus. I love God. I love my neighbor. And I love my enemies. I love the people who can't love me back. And I love the people who refuse to love me back. And I love the people who hate me. That's hard to resist. And I thought about scriptures because I thought, you know, this whole idea of love is so important in the Bible. And it's so important to God. You understand, out of all the attributes and characteristics, there's only one that God allowed to, to define him. Like he didn't say, I mean, the Bible does say God is faithful. But the one that you thought of was God is love. Like this is the one he's like, I'm love. Like that's who God is. Like God is good, but God is love. And, and it's so important to him. John 4, 20, it says this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For, for who does not love his brother whom he has seen? How does he love God who he hasn't seen? R Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Like he's like, this is how you fulfill the law, love. Matthew 22.37, he said, You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart. They said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first commandment. 
But he said, the second is like it. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And they said this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You have to understand when Jesus is talking about this, there's no New Testament. So he's basically saying, if you want to fulfill the whole Bible, love God and love people. Matthew 5.43 said, you've heard it said, you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that was literally in the church. But he said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, look at how the Bible talks about it. John 13, 34, Jesus said again, a new commandment I give you. And then he said, by this, by what? By love. You need to understand, love is what distinguishes the church. And more than our world needs to be set right, they need to be loved. Our world doesn't need a bunch of believers with signs pointing to their sins. They don't need those mighty religious warriors to take up their iPhones and make judgmental tweets and Instagram posts about their sin. That is not love. Jesus did not come into the world to identify your sin. He came into the world to cleanse you from it. Like, I think there's, this is why, like, I can only talk to the church. I can only talk to our church. But I think there's a problem when the church feels like being the church means taking on every special interest group to explain to them while they're wrong. They don't believe in Jesus. Yes, they're wrong. Show them the right way. Maybe make a cardboard sign with your sin on it and say, here's what I'm guilty of. You may be transgender. I've been looking at porn for 20 years. You may be homosexual, but I cussed out my kid last week. Maybe, maybe we should start with us. Like the, the Bible said, in fact, Jesus said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And I, I was thinking about this. I heard a message by a great pastor, um, and, and he was talking about how offense leads to, to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to murder. And, and, and he kind of outlined that. And he was talking about the, great, the Ten Commandments don't murder. And he's talking about how murder is not just the problem. Mur- <laughs> Listen, I, I've spoken to prison one time, and... Um, they didn't invite me back, but I, I spoke in there and I had like 400 men and, and I, and I want, I always like to level the playing field like I did with you. Like I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Like I'm trying to love people better, but I want us all to, to work this out together, whatever it looks like. But I just want to lay the, the so I just said, Hey, the, the only reason you're in the orange suit and, and, and I'm not is because you did the things I thought about doing, but didn't have the courage to. Or the crazy. But either way, I didn't do them. And that's kind of the point. Murder isn't just the problem. Hatred is the problem. And hatred isn't the problem. You know, anger is the problem. Right? And, and you just kind of, and anger is really not the problem. Offense is the problem. And I think we can all agree that we live in a day where people would rather be offended than breathe. In fact, I'm not sure they can breathe unless they're offended. We could get offended about anything. Some of you are already offended at me, and I'm not even trying. (laughs) 
But I thought, you know, I thought, what's the real problem? I'm going to tell you what I felt like the Holy Spirit told me the real problem we have is, is the problem with love. And I think it's where um, offense comes from and anger and hatred. I'll tell you where I think it comes from. Prejudice. And I know you, we can talk about race, but that is a problem with race, prejudice. And prejudice can be learned. But the word prejudice just means to prejudge. Yes. Yes. So it just means to judge someone without all the evidence or facts or information. It means to render a verdict before you even really know the whole story. It means to render a verdict before you even know the person. Like there was one time uh, someone did something to me, said something, and someone said, well, that would be really offend. I'd be really offended if I were you. I said, yeah, but I know their story. They're doing the best they can. Why would I be offended? Offended is an event. No, well, back up. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. If you're still offended today over something that happened yesterday or a week ago or a year ago, you're the problem. Well, that's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. I'm doing my best. Thank you. Bless you. The point is that I think we live in a world where we're all so quick to judge one another. And again, we're usually judging people on their worst moments while we want everyone else to judge us on our best intentions. And, and we're so quick to prejudge. And you understand, you, you, you know, the, what makes relationships possible is grace. And grace and judgment aren't the same. You can't judge them and have grace for them. You can't prejudge them and have grace for them. And, and sometimes, sometimes we just need to give people the same grace we want everybody else to give us. Yeah. The same measure. And, and so I, I just really have two points. That was all the introduction. But And they're almost the same with exception of one word, and it's a preposition. But it makes the point. And so write this down. The, the first thing I want you to write down, write this down. Love must be lived out. So we're talking about love. Love must be lived out. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Did you notice, you notice that he said a new commandment? Like not a new suggestion? Not, not a new growth goal. Not, not a new, you know, hey, guys, I had a new idea. You know what we should try just in case it works? We should try to love other people. But like he said, and this, by the way, is in the New Testament, because some people think the New Testament got rid of all the commandments. That's not what Jesus said. He's, he said this. In fact, he's very clear. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. He said, I didn't do away with any commandments. Like, I didn't change God's standard. He's given us a standard. That's what a commandment is. He's given us a standard that's actually for our benefit. Every commandment's for your benefit. Um, <clears throat> with every commandment comes an opportunity for blessing. There's not one commandment that will not bring a blessing to you. 
Now, obedience commandments require, they necessitate obedience. But anytime God gives a commandment, it's to bring you into blessing or provision. It's bring you into something good. Like he's given you a commandment for you, not for him. He's going to be fine whether you do it or not. Believe it or not, you breaking a commandment doesn't send him to the psychiatric office. He's okay. But he gives a commandment for you. So he's giving this commandment, a new commandment I'm giving to you. We have a problem with this word. We don't like this word. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Listen, if God can't tell you what to do, he's not your God, you're not saved, you're going to hell, you should consider that. Is is a little bit strong, but I made the point. So love must be lived out. Now I'm, I'm gonna. There are four four. Well, okay. In the Bible, we have it in English. Thank God. It was the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Greek is more expressive. So we have one word called love. Greek, in the Bible, commonly there are four words used frequently, interchangeably, that we get that are translated love. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking? So let me, and Bubba's like, oh God, he's going to talk the Greek. (laughs) It's all Greek to me, Bubba. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to, I don't know Greek. I'm going to explain this, okay? Don't pass out. It's very simple. So number one, you're all familiar with this, but... The word agape. You've heard that, agape. If you were in church in the 80s, every Bible bookstore was named agape, and half the churches were named agape in the 80s. Then in the 90s, we got really trendy, and we had coffee shops, and we named them Hebrews. (laughs) Our holy grounds. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. Anyway, so... (laughs) So you're familiar with agape, which is selfless, unconditional, unreserved love. I am loving people who don't love me. I'm loving people who can't love me. I'm loving people in spite of themselves. This is, this is how we're told to love. It's how God loves us. So, so agape. Then there's this word, uh, philea. And philea is like, it's like a brotherly love, friends, you know, tender affection, that kind of thing. And, and then that's philea in the Greek. Um, and so then um, there is Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. That's probably where they get it. But in the Greek is P-H-I-L-I-A. Um, so uh, and then there's uh, storge. Storge is like my, my family. It's like you say, well, I love my kids, those type of things. That's storge. And then there's eros. Now, eros is like that's where you get the Marvin Gaye and the boys to men. Y'all understand what I'm, that's like, that's like, you know, um, passion, sexual passion. Let's get it on. Anyway, so, all right. So, but, so, but, so going back to agape, that's that um, unconditional, selfless, unreserved love. When, when Jesus is talking in, in John 13, verse 34, and he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, you love one another. 
Um, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So let me back, let me take it backwards. That last phrase, if you love one another, that word there is agape. If you agape or unconditionally love, sacrificially love one another. That's how they'll know. But when you back up into the other verse, I give you a new command that you love one another as I've loved you, love one another. That word is a different word. It's a derivative of agape, but it's agapeo. Right? And and it, it makes an incredible point. That's why I did all that. Because agape is ethereal in concept. It's a theory. It's like it's this love that's unconditional, unreserved, you know, self-sacrificing, self-giving, that kind of thing. But when you change it to agapeo, it literally changes it from like an ethereal concept to an act or something you demonstrate. Meaning when Jesus is saying a new commandment that I, give, that I give to you, that you love one another, what he's actually saying, the commandment is not to have love, it's to show it. The commandment isn't just to say I love people, the commandment is to demonstrate it. It's actually demonstrated or expressed or lived out. Love must be lived out. One theologian that I read on this word, agapeo, or agapeo, yeah, we'll go with that. I'm not Greek. But this is what he said. He said, love can only be known by the actions it prompts. Like when he's defining this word, it's like I said, expressed, demonstrated, lived out. Those would all be accurate. But what he's saying is love that cannot be seen cannot be known. And so when Jesus is saying, love one another, a new commandment I give you that you love one another is I have loved you. Here's what he's saying. I am demonstrating my love for you. I want you to demonstrate your love for everyone else. In fact, you remember the verse that, that God so commended, one word says, demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like this is that demonstration of love. And so that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not saying that you say you have love. I'm not saying you have a tattoo that says love. I'm saying, are you demonstrating love? Is it expressed? Is it, is it, is it lived out? And you say, well, what, what does it mean to love others the way that Jesus loved me? Well, here's the great thing. In John 13, he parabolizes this whole concept before he talks about it. Meaning that he gives an illustration he does something to say, this is what love looks like, and then talks about, this is how I want you to love. This is how you demonstrate love. This is how I want you to demonstrate love. And it's, it's right here, John 13, 12. It says this, it says, Jesus then laid aside his garments, girded himself with a towel, and began washing the disciples' feet. And then verse 12, he says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do what I have done to you. So this is what Jesus does. He, he, he brings in his followers. He's the Lord He's the Messiah. He's God. And he brings in 12 men, one of which was Judas. 
And he takes his outer garments, lays them aside, puts a towel on, and starts washing their feet. And then he says, this is what demonstrating love looks like. Now, does demonstrating love look like washing people's feet? If they're dirty, I guess. But let me explain three things just really quickly right here as loving like Jesus. Number one, you have to consider someone else before you. Like if you want to love people, like if you want to love people well, you have to consider others as more important than yourself. I mean, this is, this is Philippians, but, but Philippians says, Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what Jesus did. He stopped and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see their significance and not just my significance. I mean, Jesus is pretty significant. But yet what he says is, I'm going to put someone above me. And can I just tell you, in our world, that doesn't happen a lot. It just doesn't. We're so, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Me too. Understand. Me too. But I get so caught up with me and what I'm trying to get done and what I have to get done and what I need to get done. And that sometimes I, I, there are people, there are people who need to be loved around me and I don't even see them because I'm just so caught up with me. And, and I think probably if you're being honest, you're kind of like me. And we don't think about putting other people above ourselves sometimes. We, we think about what I need, what I want, what I want to do, what I need to get done, what, what would be nice for me. And, and we don't think about just what Jesus simply did here. He, he, he considered them more significant than him. He put them above himself. Now, now, how did he do that? Here's the second thing. He considered their value. Like, I, I think this is, this is, this is really what he did. He said, you know what? I'm going to put you more. I'm going to consider you more significant. How is that possible? How can I count others as more significant than me? I have to see their value and not just my value. Like when, when, when we love, we don't cling to our value. We consider their value. And I'll tell you, one of the things that we do many times that I think stunts our love, and this is going to be fun. Um, but it's entitlement. Yes. Like, and and I, I mean, I think we probably, some of us would agree, some of us, you'll have an opportunity to get up for an offense real quick. Um, I, we live in the most entitled culture I've ever seen in my short life. And some of you who are older are like, for real. We just assume that people, everybody owes us something. The government owes us something. P, certain people owe us things. And, and I thought, I was asking God, I'm like, how do I apply this idea of entitlement? Like, I wanted to give you a definition so you understood what I was thinking when I said it. I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me this. Entitlement is when I demand grace instead of receiving it. See, grace is unmerited and unearned. And if you have to receive grace, it humbles you. When you demand it, that's pride and it's entitlement. Grace is grace. There's a lot of people demanding grace because you refuse to change and continue living in your sin and you're not going to change, but yet you demand Jesus take you to heaven. I'm owed grace because Jesus went to the cross. No, 
I receive grace because he's good enough to give it to me. I'm not owed anything. I'm not owed forgiveness. Can I just be honest? It's going to hurt a little bit. But at least nowadays I warn you. See, I'm getting a lot nicer in my old age. But sometimes I think Christians are the most entitled people that exist. And here's why. Because this is our fundamental belief. Nothing bad should happen to me because I'm a Christian. And the moment the car breaks down, the washing machine explodes, a kid goes crazy, we're like, God, I served you and tithed, and now this is... I mean, you're taking your entitlement right to the throne room of the Almighty. I didn't expect it to go well. I just felt like I needed to say it. <laughs> and by the way, I'm the worst. I've done, God, I'm a pastor. I got to deal with this, put up with that, pay for this, that broke, this happened. Like, I thought things were supposed to go better. I was deserve, I deserve more because I'm a Christian. I deserve better because I lead a life group. Let me just get everybody while I'm at <laughs> But I'm just saying that entitlement, it, it creeps in. Right? And when we're entitled, we don't consider the values of others or the value of others. So, so Jesus put them above himself, consider the value. And then he just served them practically. Like, like he just served them very practically. Meaning they had dirty feet and he washed them. Like foot washing wasn't a spiritual thing. It was a practical thing. It became spiritual because it's in the Bible, and now people, people used to have foot washing ceremonies. And, and I'm not taking anything away from that. It's, it's, it can be symbolic. People have made it a, a symbol of humility and grace. And that's, I'm not taking away from that. But I'm just saying when it's initially done, they had dirty feet. He washed them. And, and that's really what, what it means to, to, to love people well is just to consider them above yourself, see their value, and serve them practically. Like, like you think about scriptures, Proverbs 3, do good when it's in your power to do good. Like when we were talking about outreach a minute ago and we are talking about Compassion Week and I said, hey, can you go to the laundry mat and just pray for people and pass out pizza and give people quarters? And you're like, yeah, you know, somebody else needs, somebody else can do that, you know. That's, the, that's what I'm saying. I think that's the problem. Because no one else can demonstrate the love you have. You have to. And the Bible says, do good when it's in your power to do good. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. Look at John. 1 John 3.16 is powerful, y'all. I don't know if you know. Everybody knows John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And look what John says. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is what John's saying. This is what we should do. Remember, he's talking about love. What we should do is lay down our lives for each other. I think the problem is most of us can't even lay down our phone for somebody. Like we're sitting here, that's what I was thinking. Like, Lord, you're telling us to, to lay down our lives. I'm not sure we'll lay down our phone. We can be eating with our family and, and looking at what somebody else is eating on Instagram thinking, I wish I was where they are. Like I think the reason sometimes we don't even see people who need to be loved is because we're doing this. So, 
So I got you here. I'm going to leave you alone for a minute. I'm going to help you with some good news, okay? So love must be lived out. It has to be demonstrated. But what's the secret of demonstrating love? It's almost the same, the same sentence, if you will, but adding a preposition at the end, which, by the way, to the grammarians, I know you're not supposed to end a sentence in a preposition. I know that as little as I, as much as I butcher the English language, I understand that, but it makes the point. Point number one was love must be lived out. Point number two is love must be lived out of. In John 13, 34, he's like, this new commandment I give you, you know, love one another. And, and we talk the whole time. It's, it's all, like I said, it's all about demonstrating love, which was point number one. So you're like, how do you get this love must be lived out of? Well, because when you're, when you're studying the Bible, sometimes you take a phrase and say, where else is that phrase in the Bible and who said it and why? Well, this phrase, a commandment to love one another, is repeated in John 15 by Jesus. And, and here's, what, here's what he says in John 15, 12, he said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Now, does that sound just like John 13? Here's the great thing. We have an expanded context leading up to this verse. So if we back up to verse nine, Jesus is going to tell us the secret of how he loves us. He's going to tell us the secret of how he loved his disciples well. And here it is, John 15, nine, as the father loved me. So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Here's the secret of loving people well, being loved well. Remaining in the love of God. Abiding, if you will, I know that's a Bible word, but most people understand it. Abiding in the love of God. Like th- this is how we, this is how we love well. A- a- and this is really why this is a new commandment because it wasn't possible in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the commandment toward us was don't do wrong to people. In the New Testament, the commandment is do right to people. Why? What's the difference? The New Testament, the new covenant, if you will, I should say covenant, not testament. The new covenant is grace empowered. Meaning now we have a capacity in the Old Testament you didn't have. That's why in the Old Testament, all the commands are like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't commit murder, don't covet. It's all don't do bad to people. But in the New Testament, it's like, now you love with the love of Jesus. How is that possible? Because the love of Jesus is now inside of you. Because now, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God has come to dwell inside of you. And now you can love like him. But what is the secret to loving like him? I have to be loved by him. You cannot love well from insecurity. You will not serve from insecurity. No, I have to know that I'm loved. You cannot give what you do not have. And I think the reason sometimes as the church we don't love well is we don't have love. Not because we don't want it, because we never received it. Our salvation became an intellectual contract and not an immersion in the love of God like Romans 5, 5 says. The love of God will be poured in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what is supposed to happen. 
We don't enter into a contractual agreement. I'll come to church. You take me to heaven. No, God's like, I want to baptize you in my love that comes from me and fill you up. I want to love you well. I want you to know your love because then and only then will you love the people that don't have that experience yet, that need that love. You've got to be loved well if you're going to love well. And I think sometimes, I don't know, some of you are probably like me. Sometimes the reason we're not loved well by God is we simply will not let God love us. Because we explain to God we're, we're messed up. And we disqualify ourselves from the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God. And we tell God and we say, you know what, God, I'm just a mess and I really can't expect to be loved and, and I don't really deserve any love. And that, but listen, while you were still a sinner Christ died for you. In this, God commended his love toward you. He loved you when you were at your worst, and he doesn't change that now that you've moved forward a little bit. Like sometimes we think, man, God loves sinners, but he doesn't. God didn't change the standard because you got saved. He knows you're a hot mess. He knew that before he saved you. He didn't change the standard of his love. Let him love you. Accept the fact that you're loved. And on your worst day, you're loved as much as you are on your best day. Your, your behavior is not more powerful than the love of God. That's why Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God? Like some other ones say, what can separate from love of God? Can, can being good or being bad? No. Your worst day or your best day? No. Doing something good, doing something you should have done? No. Nothing. No thing can separate you from the love of God. And God does not measure love. We're guilty of that as humans, but that's not what God does. God doesn't say, well, I love you this much. I love you this much. I love you this much. Or I loved you this much yesterday, but then you kind of messed up. I'm going to move it down. And God doesn't even do this. I love you, but I'm not going to like you. God doesn't do that. He's like, no, I love you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Like his love was set before you experienced it, and it will never change. He loves you, so let him love you so that you can love others. That's why Jesus could say, you don't love as I have loved you. How can I love the way God loves unless God puts his love in me? He has to give me capacity. He has to give me the ability to do what he, you know, by the way, God never gives a commandment without the grace or the power to do it. So when Jesus is saying, I command you to love others the way I loved you, here's what he's come back to, what Paul said in Romans 5, the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Um, John, who wrote, obviously, the Gospel of John, he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation, There's this story, it's not in the Bible, but it's kind of recounted throughout history. Um, John, there are two disciples that weren't martyred, Judas, we know what happened to him, and then John, John wasn't martyred. It wasn't because they didn't try, Uh, Tertullian, one of the historians tells us um, (laughs) that the emperor 
of Rome got so sick of John preaching the gospel that he decided to boil them alive. So he got a big pot of oil and, and got it to boil and then dipped John in it. And, um, and Tertullian records this, but yet John refused to die. But instead went about preaching the gospel. You got to imagine how frustrating that would be to the emperor of Rome. If you're like, buddy, this is it. I'm going to get you to shut up, dip you in hot oil. And he said, and the Lord would say to you, emperor. Uh, I like that. So since the emperor couldn't kill him, he exiled him to an island called Patmos. And that's where John wrote the book of Revelation. People think he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John there. John was a member of the church of Ephesus. And also he lived longer than most people, not only longer than all the disciples, but the life expectancy of a man in those days is about 55 years old or so. John lived to be over 100. And, um, but, but as history records it, he was a part of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, big church where Timothy was the pastor. And there's a, a story that's told that I feel like is accurate, but it's not in the Bible. But John was in one of the services at the church of Ephesus. And they recognized him and said, John, the disciple of Jesus, is here. John, would you come speak to him? Which, by the way, if John showed up today, I would shut up and let him talk because he wrote the book we're talking about. You understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, there's times you just say, nope, I'll sit down. Anyways, um, so John comes up and, and it's recorded that he delivered three words. In fact, it's recorded in the end of his life. These were the only three words he would say. No matter what you talked to him about or what you asked him. He would just say these three words. But it was recorded. They said, tell us what it was like to walk with Jesus. And John stood at the front of the church and said, love one another. Tell us about the miracles. Love one another. Tell us about walking on the water. Love one another. That's all he would say. And it was this verse, a new commandment I give you, that you love, agapeo, demonstrate love for one another. Now, I think the reason, John, that was his message was because of something else you see in the Gospel of John. Because John gave himself a title in his Gospel that none of the other writers of the Gospel gave him. But he, it was self-proclaimed. And that was this. In fact, you can see it when, you, there's several places, but one of my favorites is when Peter and John are racing to, to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, right? And John says, and the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. <laughs> like, I love it. I love it. But that's the title. Think about this. Think about this. John's message for the last of his life, love one another. Love one another. But the reason John had that message, to love others well, is because John knew he was loved well. I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. And can I tell you something today? That title doesn't belong exclusively to John. That's right. You are the disciple Jesus loved. It's just John knew it, and sometimes we don't. But if we understand I'm the disciple that Jesus loved 
and I receive the love of God, I can love others well. Love must be lived out, but love must be lived out of. Amen. Amen. Will you stand? Yeah, you can give Jesus a clap. Will you stand with me? And I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come. Ministry team. And today, I, I want to close by just praying for, for all of us, really. But this is what I've been praying for a couple of months, really, for our church is, God, I just want us to have a baptism. I want, I want our church to be baptized in love. Like we need a, bapt- a fresh baptism of love. Like Romans 5, 5, the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Like we need a baptism in love. And that's, that's what I want to pray for, for, for all of us. And so if you'll let me, I'm going to pray for you. So you bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for just your grace and your goodness, for your love, for your mercy, God. Lord, for your word. And God, I I want us to love well, but God, to love well, we got to be loved well. And so God, I pray for our church today, Romans 5, 5, Lord, that the love of God would be poured out again in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would receive your love without hesitancy, without reservation, without argument. But God, that right now, I believe in this moment for something supernatural to happen, not just a prayer to be offered. But God, for you right now to pour love in the hearts of people. Would you just receive that today? Say, God, I just receive. I'm going to let you love me. I'm going to let you pour the love of God in my heart. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this room, people watching online, God, I pray that your love would be poured out in our hearts. God, that we would love as never before because we'd have a love that comes from you and not from us. And so God, today where people have felt unloved and they've disqualified themselves, God, I pray right now your love would overwhelm them, God, that they would feel you and know you and sense your presence. And God, that you would flood our hearts with the love of God. Lord, I pray for our church, just a baptism, really, an immersion in the love of God so we would love people well. So we would love people well. God, fill us up with your love, God. Fill us up with your love. God, today I pray if people... God, maybe they they don't know you. They're far from you. Maybe they served you at some point in their life, but they've they've gone the other way. God, I pray you would draw them back to an encounter with you, to an encounter with your love. And Lord, today I pray you draw people that need a relationship with you. Lord, that you would meet needs, that you would speak. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Listen. Um, if you need prayer today, we want to pray for you. If you need a relationship with Jesus, please come forward and let us pray with you. Um, if you just need the love of God, please, we want to pray with you. Everyone else, hey, I love you. God bless you. Let's get some Easter cards. Let's invite some people. Let's love people well. Let's let God love us well. Amen. I love you. I'll see you next weekend.